Hey, Sam. Yeah, Don? Why on earth is happy only an hour? Where'd you hear that? Well, it was in the back of the grapevine. <laughs> I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, what's the most exciting thing that happens every month? Payday! No! The new grapevines are here! Bam! Boom! Tutti Fruity! All Rudy! This month's issue is all about AA and families. In the tense yet sweet story, Best Little Meeting in Utah, a mom gets a wonderful surprise from her kids on a camping trip with her drunken brother. E workus, workus. That's child speak for it works if you work it. <laughs> you need to read that story to figure out what that's about. It's hilarious. In Meet the Parents, a member's folks come to town to see just what this weird AA thing is all about and talk about a surprise ending against my will. That ending brought a tear to my eye. Oh, someone was cutting onions. You know it's true. <laughs> and in the story, Knowing When to Leave, Diane, after 33 years of marriage, sobers up, but her drinking husband does not. With AA's help, she walks through the loneliness and makes a decision. And she is our guest today. Diane is from Minnesota, and her story is on page 16 of the April 2023 issue. Well, I'm glad she made a decision to be on the podcast. <laughs> yes. But I think a more important decision was when she decided to become a different, healthier person. I want to find out how she did it. I remember being trapped by my drinking into believing that there was no other way to live. Mm -hmm. I felt drinking was the only thing holding me together. It's like being at the bottom of a swimming pool and trying to see the real world walking around all outside up there, you know, on the surface, all distorted. <laughs> Don, you might have been at the bottom of a swimming pool at that moment. <laughs> Drank myself to the bottom of the pool. <laughs> Hey, Don, how do I send Grapevine a donation? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. What? If you want to support Grapevine, visit aagrapevine.org slash store. Diane A. Uh, I'm from northern Minnesota uh, by the Brader Lakes area, but I moved to Texas, the Austin, Texas area a year ago. Ah. And I've been in Texas one whole year. I'm happy to say I'm a recovery alcoholic. I have been sober for five years. My last drink was May 28th, 1918. Uh, it was also the day I got arrested and 
few other things, but uh, we can talk about that later. Ooh, yes. Goodness <laughs> <laughs> gracious. Uh, what was going on with you when you decided to quit drinking and come to AA? How did you make that decision? Well, it, it actually, you know, was a was a, a mandated thing at the time because I, I had a, a DUI. I was put in jail and then I had to go to counseling and I had to go to three AA meetings a week. I did find them, you know, very informative and helpful. I had tried three times before to quit by myself. And of course, every time the counselors and everybody said, and I was married, and they said, you you cannot live with a drinker all the time, especially the drinker that you're describing. And if you don't leave him, you'll never stop. And to me, that was impossible because I loved him. I cared for him. Uh, I believe marriage was for life. And I just like, that wasn't an option. And so this getting a a DUI getting arrested, and what was a blessing in disguise, which I really didn't understand or like at first, but the mm-hmm. court ordered that he couldn't see me for six months. That was perfect because mm-hmm. I had a good excuse. I now I could not see him or he couldn't see me. And my excuse to him was, well, if you quit drinking, then I'll come back. And you know, I, I felt deep down I could probably stop drinking. I mean, there's, there's a couple levels of, of drinking. There's the physicalness, the physical addiction, but there's also the emotional. I was so depressed. I I quit for a couple of weeks and bow. I'd never do it. And then I'd get so mad at him. I'd sit and sit, just get so furious. i just drink because I was mad at him and just get even, you know, and and wrecking my whole body, of course. And, you know, what woke me up, too, is my daughter said, if you keep drinking, you're going to be dead. And that's true. So you quit. So then uh, after six months, of course, he didn't quit. So then I started divorce procedures. And, you know, the, the AA meetings helped me and guide me and helped me get off the physicalness and then helped I had such tremendous guilt about leaving him. Yeah. There was a physical part, but there was also that emotional, you know, feeling guilty about that. And so the aid helped me get over that. And then writing that story was was kind of the two-year relief mark. And I I haven't had a drink since. Now I I laugh because I, I have about four bottles of wine in my living room. It's been there for two years and I haven't had it at all. And I'm, well, I really don't like wine. That's fine with me. If someone wants to come over and drink wine, fine. But I'm totally happy and no big deal. So, How did your friends in AA show up for you while you were going through this tough spell? Um, I was surprised at how genuine and honest and comforting they were. They'd reach out and do anything. And for a while, I didn't have a license. It was suspended. They would help me get here and there. And and if I needed to go to the doctor, they'd help me with that. You know, I think there's, uh, you know, you help one another. And they, they certainly did. 
We do tend to show up for each other, don't we? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in your story, you talk about your husband being somewhat abusive. Yeah. What can you say to someone that may be in an abusive relationship to be able to get to the place where they can accept that and get help? I think what, what happens is uh, you're in denial. You you play it down. You don't believe it. People can tell you, and it isn't always physical abuse. There's other kinds, too. But you, you play it down. You ignore it. And, and probably, you know, the alcohol does sort of numb it all. So, you know, exactly. if you hurt it, you hide it. it, it it's a way to comfort it or something. And in retrospect, you know, there were many, many, many signs that I just didn't see. And it culminated in a, in physical abuse, but it that wasn't frequent. That wasn't hardly at all. And it was the physical abuse that actually, you know, pushed it over the cliff. But it, it, it looked like it had to knock me on the head first. Is there anything that anyone could have said to you while you were in the thick of this that would have made a difference, would have helped you see to get out? <laughs> That's interesting because uh, I think they tried. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I mean, even the doctors, you know, who told me over and over again, I don't know if you're thick headed or, or whatever. I, I just, I mean, I, it took me. You know, I'll, I'll say almost 33 years to figure it out, and and it was a, a real knock on the head to make it happen, or an act of God kind of thing that made it happen. It wasn't, it wasn't a friend, you know, or per se. It was the act of God, really. Was there an, a spiritual experience where you could say your eyes were opened? Um, I didn't realize it at the time. Uh-huh. But I, looking back, I have to say I'm just very thankful for it. But I was mad at first. You know, it was like, what's happening to me? You know, I wanted to go back to my old ways. Of course. I mean, we're creatures of habit. We like to do it the same way. And court ordered was an excuse. And at first I was mad about it. but it, And there were other painful consequences, too. But uh, it. In retrospect, it was all good. It it forced me because nobody else had been able to. So when you came into the rooms, Diane, did you get a sponsor? Yeah, I've had different sponsors, not not real close. Uh, I I found more support just from the group. It was just nice having the whole group around. Uh, The fellowship is really strong in that regard. Yeah. Have you worked the steps with a sponsor? Yes, I have. In fact, one of our sessions was a step study. So we did steps every week and, you know, would repeat steps and, and find them refreshing. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that one there. That one got a little rusty. Now I have to think about that one a little bit more. Can you think of a step that was really important to you when you were first going through this and you had this denial and it helped you through the situation? Well, I think I think uh, the right at the beginning is probably the absolute most important because uh, you know you have to admit that you've got a problem and until you really bare your soul, put it that way, or you know get down your hands and knees and figure out that yes, I do have a problem. 
you know, the rest is all sort of cosmetic unless you get that step swallowed, to put it that way. What you're describing, Diane, sounds to me like really where I was with my drinking in that it seemed like it was the only normal way to live. And I couldn't see a way to get out of it. And then when I went to AA, it was like, oh, no, this is about not drinking at all. <laughs> and I, I could not imagine how I could live without drinking. I couldn't imagine how I would fall asleep. I couldn't imagine how I would ever have a good time ever again. Although the last couple of years of my drinking, I wasn't having fun. You know, it was impossible to see another way of living other than the way that I already had. Yeah. Was that true with your drinking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it, you know, I, I wondered frequently, what am I going to do? Because my whole life involved around drinking. I mean, we, we were closet drinkers. We never drank in bars. And if we went any place, he drank. I was always a designated driver. I would be very good about never driving and drinking or appearing drunk to anybody. I, I figured I knew that if I started, I couldn't stop. So I, mm. I hit it. People didn't know how bad mm. it was. I often wondered to myself, if I quit, what am I going to do all my evenings? Oh, yes. I, I had no idea what people did in the evenings if they didn't drink. You know, my whole life revolved around finding that next bottle. And, and then, of course, when we did get, we'd go through 1.75 liters of whiskey every day between the two of us. And we'd fight to get to the bottom of the bottle. I don't know how a woman <laughs> could drink that much and still be alive. But, Diane, uh, I'm laughing at that because I relate. My husband and I drank vodka together and we were marking our shots down on the a little chalkboard on the fridge. And I always had to make sure that I got more than he did trying to get to the bottom of that bottle. Yeah. And we wouldn't go any place until we had stopped at the liquor store and had a bottle. We wouldn't have one visible in the car and wouldn't drink in the car. Mm -hmm. But I knew every liquor store from here to Texas, from here to Florida. I, I mean, I, I remember just almost crying because I was like, I'm tired, I want to go to bed. And no, oh, we had to find that liquor store. Can you describe, Diane, that first few weeks of not drinking? Did you move out? We had a townhome. I was looking for an apartment. We had a trailer home, a mobile home, and he moved into that. And so I lived in the townhome for a few weeks and then got my apartment. How did you not drink during those weeks? I was going to counseling, you know, uh, group therapy and three AA meetings a week and scared to death of going to jail again. Oh, my. I, I know I had withdrawals. I know I, know I thought many times it would be so easy to go back and just get a bottle by myself. Because I'd, I'd done that too, although most time it was with him. But I mean, I I was just as guilty of doing it. My my dad was a very bad alcoholic. And I uh, I swore I'd never drink because I saw what happened to him. And I, I thought, I know it's in my genes. I know it's going to happen to me if I ever do it. And sure enough, and yet it doesn't always hit everybody in the family. But it did for me. I know I went through withdrawals and it, it was hard. It was 
I think the group therapy and the and the AA meetings did help. I mean, it was when people would say, "Oh, it's been one month or one week or six months," and I mean, I was kind of like chalking that up, saying, "Yeah, I I want to be that way too. I want to get that." Uh-huh. You know, I didn't know if I would, but it was looking forward to trying to get that far. You know, again, a, a day at a time because it was it would have been very easy to go back by myself, you know, keep going at it because there was a physical piece to it that was tugging, I'll say. I love that you talked about the time and how attractive it was that you were seeing other people getting these milestones. Yeah. So you've celebrated some anniversaries now. What did you feel when you celebrated that first year of recovery? Well, I, I would have been in my regular group I guess, you know, the pleased with myself, but I was guess I was surprised uh, and surprised how fast it had gone. And in retrospect, in some ways it was hard, but in some ways it was very simple too. That it, you know, it got easier. It got easier, put it that way. Yeah. Diane, I've got a question for you about your article. Why did you write something to submit to the grapevine? Well, I wrote it for my group, and it was on my two-year anniversary. I wrote it to tell them my story. They're the ones that said, oh, you should submit that to Grapevine. And I said, oh, I did. And Grapevine told me they'd get back to me in two months. Well. How long has it been? Three years. (laughs) (laughs) I had totally forgot about it. So I, <laughs> I was just shocked when you guys, you know, sent me an email, and and now now I've been telling everybody I'm going to be a published author. <laughs> <laughs> well, we loved your story, and we're so grateful that you could be on the podcast with us. Indeed, thank you so much for joining us, Diane. Yeah, thank you very much. It's time for the Asket Basket. What's that? That's the name Bill W. gave the basket that was passed around for questions at conventions. We want your questions for our guests. General recovery questions, newcomer questions, AA history. Basically, it's our AA AMA. AA Ask Me Anything. Got a question for the Asket Basket? Call in and record it at 212-870-3418 or email it to podcast at aagrapevine.org. You can find these and more at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. And now let's dip into the basket. A tisket, a tasket, we're dipping in the basket. It's more of a microphone because it was a voicemail. <laughs> Hi, this is Spencer calling from Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, and I have a question. Maybe it's an Ask the Old Timer, although you probably have to find the right old timer to answer it. It might be more like an Ask the Archivist question. As an AA history geek, I would like to know who wrote the forewords to the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We know a lot about the content, like we know that Dr. Silkworth wrote most of the doctor's opinion. We know that Bill wrote the bulk of the first 164 pages, except that Hank P. wrote two employers. We know that Lois was famously 
upset at Bill for writing two wives. But I'm curious about the forwards. The forwards to the first and second editions were written while Bill was still alive and could have been written by Bill, or, or were they written by committee with Bill's oversight? And then, of course, the forwards to the subsequent third and fourth editions are after Bill's passing in 1971. And just incidentally, I'm recording this on January 25th, which is the day after the anniversary of Bill's death in 1971, January 24th. But I am curious to know who wrote the forwards. Thanks a lot. I love the podcast. Thanks for doing what you guys are doing. Awesome. Thank you. Wow, Spencer, this one required research. Yeah. We asked Najin to seek the answer. She works for the Grapevine, which is part of the General Service Office in New York City, a great location to visit if you're in the area. She got an answer from Michelle, the AA archivist. You know, I met Michelle when I visited last year. I bet Michelle remembers that. <laughs> you know, I tried to get her myself, but I couldn't get her. So we put Najin on it. <laughs> The archives are the thing to see if you visit the GSO building. I was thrilled to see the display of every edition of the big book that's been printed, even the smaller size one that was printed during World War II. That was the one. It was like thin paper and such too, yeah. right? They yeah. had to get special permission from the government to even print it since everything was rationed for the war effort. Right. And there are no stories in the back. And it has okay. a smaller font and such. And, you know, when they've printed the book, I guess everybody's heard the story. They used really thick paper. And well, yeah, that first book needed to be, you know, bang for its buck. You needed to know you were getting something good. Yeah, you're spending a dollar on this thing <laughs> or whatever <laughs> it costs. You want something for it, you know, and then that way everybody can say, ooh, that's a big book. Especially Don and his special voice that he uses every time he says, that's a big book. <laughs> and the original Asket Basket is there, which prompted us to include it in the podcast. And instead of doing that's the old timer, it's the Asket Basket. So here is what Najin learned about the forwards to the big book. Thanks, Sam. So I got this email response from Michelle. It reads... Thanks for forwarding the question from the podcast team. Bill, as author, is credited with the authorship of the forewords to the first and second edition big book. It is important to keep in mind that he also worked with a small team of editors who assisted in copy editing the big book manuscript. The forewords to the third and fourth editions were an effort of the editors of GSO's publishing department and the trustees and the conference literature committees. Warmly, Michelle. Najin, thank you so much for working with Michelle to get that answer and for narrating it for us. Najin, we're going to be using you again when we get one of these tricky questions. You know, this like who wrote the forewords for the big book is interesting. Now, you and I learn that the current publisher of The Grapevine, Chris, actually wrote the introduction to the new edition of the 12 and 12 that we all use now. And there is no way that Chris is going to let us say that on the podcast. <laughs> but, I, but I'm putting it in because I think it's so interesting for people to learn that, you know, someone sat down and wrote it, though the committee approved it and organized it and all. But what it all boils down to today is now you can use ChatGPT <laughs> to write these things. So now no one has <laughs> to write right. it. 
Folks, we'd love to hear your thoughts or experience. Call 212-870-3418 or email podcast at aagrapevine.org. Hi there, Don and Sam from the amazing AA Grapevine podcast. I'm Julia, an alcoholic from Berlin, Germany, and I salute you and your work spreading the message of Alcoholics Anonymous all across the world. The sound deteriorates, so I will decipher. I want to send in what my sponsor said. I got sober in Paris in 1985 in the English-speaking fellowship. My sponsor was this beautiful woman from Phoenix, Arizona. She looked like Lauren Bacall from the film Noir, straight out of Hollywood. And she said in a very adamant way, the reason people drink again is on page 35 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, last paragraph, middle of the page. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. That's my contribution. Sending tons of love and a big AA hug by Don and Sam. Thanks, Julia. My sponsor doesn't look elegant like Lauren Bacall, but he does like page 35. Thanks for calling. Yes, hello. My name is Trevor L. I'm calling from Feverton, New Brunswick, Canada. I uh, heard your suggestions about change the meetings from opened and closed, say to change the terminology. I just have this suggestion. Instead of calling it an open meeting, call it a public meeting. And instead of a closed meeting, call it a private meeting. The general public seems to understand more when you use public and private rather than open and closed. Just a suggestion for you. I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to work or not, but uh, it might work. Who knows? Thank you very much for listening. And, uh, gentlemen, you fellas do an awesome, awesome program. Thank you ever so much. Enjoy your day. Trevor, I love it. Public and private. I'm going to adopt that from now on. Who knows? Maybe if everyone who listens to this starts using public and private meetings, it will slowly spread all over the world. <laughs> Thanks for calling. The Grapevine is looking for your story submissions. Midlife Sobriety. Stories are due April 15th, 2023. Share about some of the challenges you've had after 8, 10, 20 years sober. Have you ever nearly relapsed? Did you ever stop going to meetings or disconnect from AA? Have you ever been a dry drunk? How did you get back on track? What helped you may help someone else. Share your story by April 15, 2023 via aagrapevine.org slash share. Drunk staggers out of a bar early one afternoon. He had been drinking since early that morning. As he stumbled down the street, two nuns were coming toward him. He started to tip his hat respectfully to them, but at the same moment, 
the nuns went around him, one to his right and the other to his left. He got a confused look on his face. Oh, how the heck did she do that? <laughs> it's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.